Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing men and women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Hi, ladies. Welcome back. Before we start off, I have a quick announcement. We are taking a short winter break. So after this episode, we'll be off for about a month and we'll be resuming on January 17th. This will be a great opportunity for you to follow us on Instagram to stay connected. Um, If you're not already following us there, we post quotes and get questions from you, the listeners, for future topics. So go on over, follow us on that platform. And if you are a regular listener and you're listening to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, we'd love if you could leave a review. That also helps other listeners to be connected and uh, to be encouraged by the conversations that are happening here. Today, I have back again Jocelyn Wallace, who is a biblical counselor, and she is going to talk about how to walk wisely within the confines of time. December is a busy month for so many of us, and so I hope the truths unlocked in this discussion will help bring comfort and direction as we strive to honor the Lord from our hearts. So here again is Jocelyn. Welcome back, Jocelyn. I'm so excited to take the time to sit down and chat with you about how to honor the Lord and how we think about and use our time. But before diving into the questions, would you please introduce yourselves to the listeners? Sure. I'm so glad to be back. I'm glad to talk about this topic. It's something that I think about a lot. Uh, My name is Jocelyn Wallace, and I live near Lafayette, Indiana. I'm a member of Faith Church. We've been attending there. Um, for 22 years now. And uh, I've been married to my husband, Brian, for 26 years. And we have two daughters, a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old. And I'm a stay-at-home wife and mom who does a lot of work just uh, serving in our church and serving our family. And so in my past, I was the executive director at Vision of Hope Residential Treatment Center and a couple other treatment centers or like homeless centers that were in our area. But for the last, since 2013, however many that is, almost 10 years, I've been home with my kids, helping them to be equipped to be grown up. Awesome. And I love that you brought up the Residential Treatment Center. Tell me the name one more time. Yes. I used to work at Vision of Hope Residential Treatment Center in Lafayette, Indiana. I was their inaugural executive director and helped it get off of the ground. And I worked there for about seven years before I transitioned to work at home full-time with my family, but it's a great ministry for women who might find themselves stuck in addictive types of behaviors and needing some biblical counseling in a more intense setting to help break through some of the habits that were taking over their life. So it's a wonderful ministry. I'm so glad it's available to women who are hurting. And the listeners are going to remember that Sophie talked about that place uh, in the previous episode. Awesome. um, I love Sophie. So we'll (laughs) we'll link that in the show notes. But Jocelyn, I heard you talk about this topic on time on the podcast that you co-host with Janet called Joyful Journey. And it was something that my heart needed to hear and to understand. And I knew right away, I need you on this podcast to share that wisdom with the listeners of the Smiling at the Future podcast. 
So to kick us off here, can you share what the Bible has to say about time and um, how we should be thinking about it? Sure. Well, we know from Scripture that time is a resource that was created by God. And, and so one of the things that's helpful to think about with time is that it's just a tool. And on top of that, it's an amoral tool. It's not either right or wrong. It just is. In Genesis 1, 14 through 19, we can see that God created the stars and the planets of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And he did that so that we would have signs, seasons, days, and years. So time is just a measure of, of how long something lasts. It's a measure of duration. And we know that theologically from the scriptures, God exists outside of time, which really blows my mind. But we exist within time, at least during our time on earth here in our non-glorified bodies. God is spirit. He's not constrained by either time or space, but we are living within both of those right now. And it's really important to remember that God owns all of time. Psalm 31, 15 reminds us that our time is in God's hand. And your time on earth begins at the moment of your conception. And then you exist within time and space exactly as the creator desires, either until you die or until you're graduated into heaven, if you're a believer, when Jesus returns. And so ultimately, it's just helpful to remember time isn't either good or bad. The problems that come up, come up with how we handle time. And so in the New Testament, we can see that Jesus taught about time in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6 through 8. And in that sermon, He's telling people how he wants them to function as citizens of his kingdom. And that kingdom is eternal. It transcends time. So it's really helpful to remember that God's eternal kingdom and the scope and the breadth of that when we take into account our own lives. Because I am not eternal. That's something that I have to remember. I celebrate a birthday in 1976. I was created when God allowed for my conception. And then almost 46 years ago, on my birthday is on New Year's Eve, so nearly 46 years ago, my mom was in the hospital bringing me into the world. And I also have to remember that it, in all likelihood, unless Jesus comes back first to take me to be with him in heaven, which I feel is very imminent, there will be a day that my body gets sick and tired enough and it will stop functioning and I'll die. So James 4.14 tells us that compared to the eternality of God's kingdom, our life is like a mist. It's here for a little while and then poof, it vanishes. And so compared to the longness of eternity, our lifespan, which while we're alive, will feel so long if we're 80 or 90 or 100 years old, compared to eternity, it's actually really, really short. And I love meditating on this reality, the shortness of our lives now compared to how long eternity is going to be. It just blows our mind. And I think it helps put everything in perspective. It helps put trials in perspective, momentary light afflictions that are producing an eternal weight of glory. And it's amazing that something momentary can have an effect on the eternal that God somehow in his equation, he's designed that. And one of these days, I would love to do an episode on heaven, the topic of heaven. Great idea. 
Because that's what eternity, where we will be for eternity. And as Christians, I don't think we talk about it enough. I think we're so focused on the journey that we lose sight of our destination. And that is what gives us fuel for our journeys. We're, we're headed towards an eternal city that God has prepared for us to be with Him for all of eternity. So anyways, maybe one day we'll talk about that more to give us better perspective in this life. Absolutely. And you know, we could have 80 or 90 or 100 years. Like that, you look at a 100-year-old and you're like, wow, what a long life. But those are short when you think about it from an internal point of view. And especially when you think about that a lot of good for God's kingdom can be done in those comparatively short years. It makes me think of passages like Psalm 90 verse 12 where Moses prays, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us, God has set eternity in our hearts. We know that there's more to life than just our lives. So, so many of the scripture passages that we read point to the urgency of living our life with purpose, especially in light of the brevity of life. Psalm 39.4-5 is a really important verse on this topic. It says this, Oh, Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Such powerful truths, Jocelyn. And I think this time of year specifically, we start to feel the confines of living within time. We feel our finiteness. We can't get everything done that we want to get done or need to get done. And we're always brushing up against those realities and and living within those boundaries. So how does it glorify God when we understand our finiteness and conversely, God's infiniteness? Yeah, you could spend a lot of time thinking, so let's let's use every second of this finite resource of time to accomplish infinitely valuable things for God and His kingdom. But then you could live in completely ungodly ways and really use your time in an unbalanced way. And so it's really important that even while we have this sense of urgency, we're living out our life in a way that does represent God's values accurately. You don't want to live in a way that doesn't follow God's example of resting and planning. So our work ethic and the way that we live our days out can end up being created in our own image, not in the image of God, which would fail at our purpose of being human beings. Even God, he used six days of creation to accomplish his work, and then he stopped his work and he Sabbathed one day of the week. And so I can find myself thinking, okay, cool, yeah, 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 God, I like your example, but I'm going to go ahead and do it my own way. Like I have seven days worth of work. And so you attempt to work every second of every day without God honoring rest. And for, for humans, rest is an acknowledgement of our finiteness. I just do not have unlimited reserves of strength. I require replenishment. When it gets to be around 730 at night, I'm like, dude, I'm done. Like I've got working. <laughs> Um, But then on the other hand, sometimes you can think like, yeah, I don't feel like working heartily for the Lord for six days and resting for one. I'd prefer to like rest for several of those days and space out my work so I don't become weighed down by that or burdened by it. And so you have these like two ditches that we can tend to be on. 
overscheduling my time or underscheduling my time. And it ends up, neither one is representation of God's character and his heart for his people. And it's especially sad because Proverbs 6 tells us God hates laziness. And he warns us that when we're lazy, we become poor in lots of ways. So, so all that to say, if I have a right theology of time, I'm going to plan the ways I spend it, including appropriately planning both work that God says is going to not only bless me, but it's also going to bless others and also Sabbathing and resting. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to bear the image of God accurately, God talks so much about the importance of planning out how I'm going to accomplish things, but I want to do that in a way that represents his character accurately. He planned out the entire concept of creation and redemption before anything was ever brought into being. So God is really, really into planning. And Psalm 92 tells this really amazing thing about God. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That just totally blows my mind. To, to comprehend that God is eternal, He has always existed. So in Genesis 1, 1, we start the recorded scripture with the evidence that God always has existed. And in Revelation, we end in looking at eternity future with a very, very, very same God. God is eternal and he has always existed and always will exist. And some of my struggles with time and understanding my relation to it, they just highlight the amazingness of God. And so my finiteness illustrates in stunning ways his infiniteness. He never struggles to run out of time. He never struggles to use it wisely. He never gets to 7.30 at night and be like, oh, dude, those humans better be okay overnight because I'm tired. Like, he never gets tired. He never has to go to bed. He never lays awake with insomnia and then struggles to function the next day. He is above and outside our concept of time. And that gives me huge, huge comfort. I don't have to make sure the world is working the way that I think it should. There is someone who exists outside of time. And inside of that eternality, he's also omniscient, which blows my mind. So I can go into overdrive thinking not only is his being existent through eternity, but his omniscience is existent through eternity. And what that means, which is kind of like lofty concepts, what that means is he already knows what will happen in the future because he has already seen it happen. He exists outside of our concept of time. He already knows everything, past, present, and future. And this is what I find great comfort in. He knows every version of what could happen with every one of the choices he could possibly make. And so he chooses the specific version of reality he has chosen for us to experience because it produces the one and only result he sovereignly knew was best for his eternal purposes. So my finiteness helps me to appreciate the infiniteness of God so much deeper. So powerful, Jocelyn. And that is a helpful perspective when we are weighed down with our busy 
schedules that we can just turn our eyes to worship God in those moments and appreciate that attribute about him. And what you were describing there is one of my favorite attributes of God, and that is his wisdom. It just causes us to drop to our knees and worship and say with the psalmist, Oh Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom. Thou hast made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. And this amazing truth puts our hearts to rest God knows what he is doing in our lives and he plans everything, not only for his glory, but our good. And I think it's amazing that we even fit into this equation at all, (laughs) but it's so true. My daughter and I were just talking about this the other day that in Proverbs, I think it's chapter two, it says that before the creation of the world, God created wisdom and then he used his wisdom to create the world. Isn't that so cool? It's like, He created the very thing that was necessary to make all of this work together so well. We can trust him. He knows what he's doing. And definitely amazing. So what is the difference between busyness and diligence? And it can look like it's more holy to be doing a hundred different things, even good things like serving in the church, serving others. But sometimes we can go to extremes. I like how you talk about the ditches on either side of the road. I think this is one of those ditches. So how do we know how we're um, being a good steward as far as maximizing our time, using it for the Lord, but not becoming so busy that we're not stewarding ourselves wisely? It's so funny. In some, some conversations I have with other women, they wear their stress like a badge of honor. Like, oh my goodness. I am just so busy. I am so stressed out. And I'm like, that's not a great thing. Like, that's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not a badge of honor. It's not a gold star. And we really have to agree with Paul in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So the, there's a lot of passages in scripture that really scream about the urgency to use yourself up in matters of eternal significance. But sometimes when we're really rushing like that to accomplish a lot for the Lord, we fail to see that at the end of that very same passage, it says this, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So according to God's word, it's possible for me to be foolish in my application of how I use my time, even when I'm trying to do really good stuff with it. And I think what what that passage is telling us is we don't want to just live frantic lives. We want to live wisely. And knowing what to do with the limited amount of time we have on earth is crucial because we can't do everything. And when I first started staying home with my family, I was really struggling to figure out some time management stuff. And my sister shared this quote with me that she had learned from Janet Parshall's radio program. And she had said on her program, Specifically, it was specifically related to how women deal with time management issues. You can have it all. You can't have, you just can't have it all at once. And I was like, oh, please, that illustration breaks down. But it has such truth in it. And I joke, you can do it all. You just can't do it all at once. And for the believer, what I mean by that is I know that my life and the way I use my time is essentially divided into two major categories. The one category is my time on earth in my unglorified body. And the other category is my time after I die or I'm raptured and I'm in my glorified body because my 
life on earth is bound by time. And my life in eternity future will go on forever and ever and ever. And so what I really need to do is use the heart of wisdom that is gained from knowing God and his ways to think about what to do in which category. So in the time on earth, in my unglorified body, I really have to pay attention to how I use my time. And a big reason is because it really affects my body. And right now, my physical body has some pretty big limitations. I have to sleep. I have to rest. There, unfortunately, are only 24 hours in every day. And so for me especially, there's like 60 hours a day worth of activities that I'd really like to participate in. But I can only do 24 hours worth of stuff. And so if you just do a little bit of math, if I live maybe on my best my best effort to live to be 90 years old, if you add that all up, that is only about 788,000 hours in my whole lifetime. And what super annoys me is that 262,000 of those hours are me sleeping. Like, that's so unfair. That only leaves like 526,000 hours of my whole life for me to fill with activities. And that's if I live to be 90. And so mix into that, I need to earn a living and I need to take care of my home and my family. A huge portion of that time is taken up. And so I could fall into this one ditch and say, have this YOLO mentality and believe like you only live once. So I better fill up every single hour. And even if I'm thinking about it, like on a good day in a totally holy way, like I want to live every single hour for Jesus. Or I can realize that every single one of those hours are holy. They're a holy gift from a father who loves me. And while I'm living my life, he is executing a masterful plan for his created world and the entire universe. And he chose me to be a part of his plan, accomplishing his kingdom work. So I may only have 526,000 available hours to do stuff while I'm in this unglorified body here on earth. So every single one of those acti activities in that 526,000 hours should matter. It should be connected to eternity. And so I, I'm going to share a couple of passages with you that I literally think about all the time, all the time. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells me, God planned a bunch of things for me to do as a result of being saved. But he also tells me on top of the joy that I get when I do those good things, I can also bank rewards for my future life in my glorified body. That stokes me so much. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, by grace, you've been saved through faith and that this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. This is what verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So like, way before anything was created, when God and Jesus entered into the covenant of what they were going to do with the creation of the world and the plan of redemption, part of what they what was already planned before the world was created was the good works that I would do inside of that plan. That is so cool. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 9, and 10 tells us we live our lives here on earth literally to give pleasure to God. And while I'm giving God pleasure through my redeemed good works, I'm also preparing to receive rewards for the way that I faithfully served him. And so it's a good reminder, like, I am living for the pleasure of my king. 
and also remembering that I'm going to stand in front of Christ at the judgment seat and God is, he's going to reward me for what I've done in this body. And so 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19 also says this, that we are to be doing good works, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up treasures for ourselves as a foundation for the future. And Revelations 22, 12 says that God is planning to repay each of us for what we have done. And so, like you said earlier, I spend a ton of time thinking about heaven because it's a reality. It's more real than this world that I live in right now. This world is going to pass away. But the things that I'm doing right now in this life, they are going to matter for eternity. So it's important that I'm being really wise about how I spend my time so that I'm doing diligent things and not just being busy. And so kind of the Lord to give us incentives to live wisely and to store up those future rewards. And one thing that I think is really good to understand is that someday when we stand before Christ, we're not going to be receiving judgment. So those, when, when our works are put on the altar and burned up and, you know, what comes forth as gold or precious jewels or the wood, hay and stubble that is burned up, we're not going to be receiving judgment at that moment. It's just rewards. Isn't that so cool? Yeah. So we don't, we don't live in fear that we're going to be judged for, you know, Christ took that judgment on himself. So, but we are looking forward to the rewards that God is going to distribute to the saints on that final day. And it's, it's just helpful to think about that reality because as humans who are living under this heavy weight of the curse of sin, we forget that this is not all there is to life. And we focus on these, you know, 90 years that we have on earth and try to make it the main point of our existence. And if you don't remember that future reality, you're going to get sidetracked. Like there are so many things that I want to do. I have so many interests. Like I love so many things. I want to study so many things. And I have all these advanced education degrees that I think, oh, my word, it'd be so cool if I knew that. But when I dream about life in the future with Jesus in his eternal kingdom, in my glorified body, that's when I can let my imagination go wild. I'm going to have endless amounts of time to worship God and give him pleasure while I explore all the vast wealth of his knowledge and riches. Some things I may not get to do here, but I'm going to have an eternity to continue learning and growing and exploring. And one of the things that's really helpful for me to think about is I, I actually like kind of like think about putting stuff into baskets. Like I have this really big desire to do this thing. Is this a life on earth basket or does, does this belong in the life in eternity future basket? Because you have to sort through all the good things that you want to do and decide which of the good things is the best thing. And at that time in the future, the work of building the kingdom will be done. We'll be enjoying the kingdom then. But right now, right now is the time to build the kingdom. And so because this is the era where people are being urged into Christ's kingdom, that's what I try to focus on filling the hours of my week with. So I want to make sure, like John 9, 4 says, I'm doing the works of him who sent me while it's day because night is coming when no one can work. And so I want to use that heart of wisdom that I get by learning to number our days, like Psalm 90, 12 talks about 
so I can be walking in wisdom toward outsiders and making the best use of my time. I don't want to just live a frantic life. I want to live wisely. And inside of that wise living, it's okay for me to have deferred dreams. Maybe some of the things I really want to do were desires that God put in me that will be fulfilled in the future. And it's not a bad thing to have desires of what I want to do and realize, you know what? That's something that I get to pursue when I get to heaven. God created us for pleasure. That's an important thing to think. God created us to be consumed with pleasure in his presence. And Psalm 1611 says, at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so I'm not talking about a life that is nothing but work. I'm just saying that you've balanced out why you're doing what you're doing so that it fits into kingdom purposes. And the kingdom purpose that we know from scripture is that we will be consumed with a pleasure because of our relationship with God, because of our relationship with Christ, we experience pleasures. And so the pleasures that we get to experience here on earth, they are tastes, they're appetizers of the pleasures that we'll be experiencing more completely and fully in the future. And so it would be wrong to limit ourselves from having any pleasure here on earth, because what we do of faith, even pleasurable things, is it's a it's a practice of enjoying God and the world that he has created for us. Yeah. So, so good to understand that because we can swing to like a hyper spiritualization where we think like, okay, living a godly life is only being at church 24 seven, where that's, that's uh, probably more of a legalistic view of what the Christian life is actually like enjoying good food and and fellowship and activities and all those good things that God has provided for our enjoyment here on earth. That's the way that we glorify the Lord as well. I was just um, enjoying a class from one of our pastors in the past um, semester, and he was teaching on Philippians 3, 7 through 11 and saying how Jesus is the prize. And he's not saying, he was he was explaining, like, it doesn't mean you don't have any pleasure here on earth. You just realize that every pleasure that you have here on earth is pointing you to your greatest pleasure. And so when you enjoy delicious food, think about how delicious your relationship with Jesus is. When you enjoy a beautiful sunset, think about the God that created that for you. So it's not, the Bible is not saying don't enjoy any of the things that are here on earth. It's just saying, remember that every single pleasure you do enjoy is pointing you to your greatest pleasure. Amen. Was it C.S. Lewis who said, through Christ, we see everything else? Yes, that's a great quote. I think that sometimes when you think about our schedules, though, it's really easy to be prideful, to say like, oh, look how busy I am. Oh, I am doing so much for Jesus. And one pushback I would say to that is if you packed your schedule so that you would feel holy, then you didn't pack your schedule for the right reason. And if your schedule doesn't reflect the values of God, then your schedule is out of balance. Time is just a tool. It's meant to help us reflect and pursue the values of God, but it's not a tool for us to use to feel a certain way about ourselves. And so either overpacking it or underpacking it, that's living a certain way to get a certain feeling from ourselves. And so if, if, if we fall into those ditches, then we're definitely, definitely off. So we want to make sure that we're our life is an accurate reflection of God's values. Um, we're not trying to accomplish everything because even Jesus didn't accomplish everything that people wanted of him, but we are diligent to be accomplishing all that Jesus saved us to accomplish because he planned it all out in advance. He, he saved us so he, we would participate with him doing really awesome things to build the kingdom. 
And I love how you just brought out how Jesus didn't do every or say yes to every request that people had of him. He had to know what was the wisest use of his time. And we are put in that position quite often of people asking things of us and we have to decipher, okay, do I need to say yes? If I'm saying no, is this sinning? So how how do we think through what to say yes and no to? And how do you graciously say no when you come to that conclusion that it's not the best use of your time? That's a great question. I like to think about it being like, how do I say my best yes? Not just how do I say yes all the time? And I think when people ask me to help, it's probably because they saw I'm good at something and they know that we like to serve a lot. And that is a humongous honor. So instead of being like irritated when people ask me to do something and be like, oh, everyone just needs me all the time. It's better to think like, wow, what an honor. Like I've built my whole life around loving God and serving other people. And so when someone has a need, I hope they think, whoa, Jocelyn might be able to help me in this need. So I have to just realize like being asked is an honor, but it's my job to think through whether that is the right honor for me to say yes to. So Jesus was really focused on accomplishing the plan that the Father had sent him to accomplish, and he was really focused on eternal needs over temporal needs. So I take that truth, and I also think about 1 Corinthians 12, where it says God has given every single one of his humans gifts and abilities, and he wants us to live in unity for the benefit of each other. And we know from understanding the gospel, only humans that have been saved from their sins and forgiven and have received new life are capable of living that way. So I kind of need to look at request with that memory that every single human being, especially those who are redeemed, have been given gifts and they're supposed to deploy them serving each other. And that gives joy and pleasure to God. So if I say yes to everything, then potentially I'm robbing somebody else of the opportunity to have served in that way. And so all of us have valuable ways that we should serve. However, I need to make sure that I'm not just doing everything and and taking opportunities from others. And in addition to that, I've also been thinking a lot lately about focusing on serving in the areas where I'm uniquely positioned or equipped to serve where other people aren't. It's kind of like, I don't know if you play basketball, but it's kind of like playing basketball. Like you need to stay in your lane, do your job and let other people stay in their lane and do their job. And so during the time I have left on earth, I want to try to do things I'm uniquely positioned to do well. And it's important to be able to identify what God made you good at. That's one of the reasons why it's really important to serve with other people Sometimes other people can see what you're good at better than you can because you don't really know you're gifted in that area until somebody else says, oh, wow, you do this other thing, this thing so well. You just do what you do because that's how God wired you. But other people can see that you're talented or maybe pinpoint an area of strength. So that's one of the things that helps me to know what to say yes to and which areas I should let someone else say yes to. And of course, like, all that's off the table. If there's a need that's urgent and it's a crisis, you just help no matter what. You just get the need met. But I've really been thinking a lot about, especially in the last several years, for me to focus on serving in ways that I'm equipped to serve in that other people aren't. And my husband and my ministry leader are helping me to see that equipping and discipling leaders in our church is kind of like the thing that I'm good at. And so if a ministry falls into that category, then I'll probably think about it more. 
But if it doesn't really fit into that category, then I'll probably have to say no and then help them think of someone else who might be able to meet that need. I'm really thankful that you brought out giftings. And I want to camp on that thought here for a second. It's important to understand that to understand that we've all been given different gifts as we serve alongside each other in the church. And we are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And that just means we are looking after something for someone else. So God has given us certain things to serve one another, by the way. Like those gifts are not to serve ourselves. They're to serve the body. And we're accountable to how we steward those things. But I think understanding this really helps if you're struggling with jealousy towards somebody and their gift. And um, maybe somebody else has more energy, more zeal. Maybe they're just able to do a lot more in the church than you are. And you can feel like you're falling behind or you're not as godly because you're not serving in those specific ways. So I think one thing that helps me in seeing somebody else who is stewarding their gifts well is just to praise God for that, that they are being a good steward of what God has given them and understanding that we're not competing against each other. We're all on the same team. We're all working towards building the kingdom of God alongside each other. And the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And we are to spur each other on to love and good deeds. So if you're tempted to be jealous of somebody else and their gifts, just remember those things that they're just stewarding what God has given them and look at yourselves and figure out, okay, what are the gifts God has given me? How can I steward those well to benefit the body of Christ? Because we all have a place in the body and knowing what that is, is really important. And, you know, in the times that I have to say no, I might say something like, I'm so honored that you asked me to participate in this. And I'm sorry that I have to say no but I'd love to help you brainstorm someone else that might fit your needs. And so I generally don't feel a lot of guilt when I have to answer that way because I made my decision from faith and I'm not sorry for living from faith. If you struggle with disappointing people, but when you have to say no, then you might need to look at what idolatry issues might be going on inside of you and influencing you to say yes more than would be wise and more honoring to God if you had said no. Really good points. And I've brought out this example before on some previous episodes, but there was a point when I was trying to decide whether or not I should move churches. And I was agonizing over this decision because I felt like, well, if I leave, there's no one that could take my place that I'm serving and I'm going to leave this big hole. And my brother just helped me understand this better. He told me, you're not indispensable. You know, it's, it, Christ is the head of the church. He's going to keep it functioning. And sometimes someone doesn't step up to fill a need unless there is a need. So you could be just thinking about it in those terms that if you're making a decision on faith and following the direction that you um, think is wise, God is going to bring, raise people up to fill the needs that you might be leaving. So I don't know if that's helpful for anyone. It was helpful for me to understand just in making decisions within ministry. So most of us, we have many responsibilities and there never seems to be enough time to accomplish everything that we need to or want to in a given day. So what encouragement would you share with a woman who is weary and living within that tension? 
Well, that's a good question. And I've heard it said that God gives us all the time we need to get done in the day, everything he wants us to get done. And so there are certain areas that I have control over. And in those areas, I want to be wise and balanced. And I also want to remember like God has a lot of value on disciples who persevere and endure in their commitments. If Galatians 6, 9 says, it's important to not grow weary in doing good. So it's, it's great to make a to-do list with intentions of being productive, but ultimately God's in control of what that actual day looks like. And so I've just found myself, I really struggle with control. Like I want to know how it's going to turn out so I know the right thing to do. But I've been saying a lot to myself, no matter what God sovereignly puts before me, I'm going to do my best to handle it righteously. I don't need to know ahead of time how it's going to turn out. And I just remember in those times when I have a lot of responsibilities, God wants me to be giving to others because of how much I've received from him. He's the fountain of living water. He wants me to serve and live out of that abundance. And so it's important that I'm staying tethered tightly to him. And that would be an area where the spiritual disciplines are really important because as I'm regularly studying and meditating and contemplating and praying, I'm, I'm feeding from God I'm connected to God so that he is my source of strength, not my excellent organization. So, so helpful to understand that, that we're not just giving of our, our own reserves, but we are giving from Christ's reserves that he has placed in us. Um, and I think that comes down to walking in the spirit too, being filled with the spirit so that we can be giving that love that we've been given. About 10 years ago, I started studying the topic of burnout, not because I wanted to, but because someone gave me an assignment to teach on it. And I was like, dude, I'm not ready to teach on that. And so I had to study it a lot. And one of the things that I learned is that we can live trying to do godly things with ungodly ways of doing it. And so it's really important to study why you do what you do. And and it's interesting that the pattern of burnout usually is predictable. Like there's a pattern behind it. You care a lot about what you're doing, but you use unfocused and unrealistic discipline to accomplish your task. And ultimately that's going to lead to fatigue. Like there's no other way that it can go. And a result, the core of you becomes more and more hollow while the exterior of you looks more and more impressive. And then instead of doing what you're doing for the glory of God and the good of others, you start getting motivated by guilt and shame. And we have to remember that the gospel is the only truth that can feed your soul enough to replenish you while you're being drained by serving other people or doing important things in your life. And the cycle of burnout ultimately ends in this sad place for you get really callous and cynical, and it leads you to conclude that God did this to you and serving him ruined your life. And you end up usually having some sort of a failure or a crisis. And then after the dust settles, you see the failure of the crisis was the inevitable outcome of an unbalanced, undisciplined, isolated life. So it's really important to remember that everything I do should be done out of faith, not fear. And that my motivations are really tightly tethered to a, a robust understanding of the gospel and a desire to live out the gospel in my everyday life. Because I can't just disconnect. I, I think this thing about God, but I live my life however I want. What I believe about God is intimately associated with how I schedule my day. Wow. Powerful. Thank you for sharing that. And you said you did a whole talk on that. You told me that before. So if the listeners are interested, we can link that talk in the show notes where they can learn more about burnout and how to stay away from that. 
Um, but getting now down to the very practical, do you have time-saving systems to help keep your life organized and on track? Yes, I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I'm very type A and I like to get stuff done. Um, but the biggest thing for me is to operate from a priorities mindset instead of a task mindset. So I every day I start with a, a list of things that need done. And if I don't temper that with godly priorities, then I'm, I'm going to feel like a failure every day because I can't get everything done in one day. On the one hand, that helps me to appreciate God so much because he's not limited that way. And on the other hand, it helps me to sort through all the things that I have to do, which one should bubble to the top. So I know that my relationship with God is the priority. And then biblically, my relationship with my spouse is my next priority. My relationship with my kids or my parents is my third priority. And then fourthly, my relationships with believers are the next important thing. And then finally, relationships with unbelievers. So really practically, it helps me to think, like, if my husband has asked me to do this thing, and I have four different options of what to do, whatever my husband asks me to do, that's what bubbles to the, to the surface. And if I, if I do this task, and it will stop me from spending time with God, then that's not a good idea to pursue because it's not inside of biblical priority. So I think a lot about biblical priorities, kind of like a bullseye. God, my relationship with God is in the middle, and all other relationships kind of move out from there. Another thing that I use a lot is a time budget. Some people call it a schedule, um, but it's just like a money budget. Like I'm very, very tight with our money budget. I know every penny where it's going because we're trying to do a lot with very little. And so I think the same way about time. I only have in one week, 168 hours. And the first 50 of those hours is probably going to need to be for sleep because I have to sleep. I can't function without sleep. The next 50 hours is going to be work because a, because it's a blessing. Like God said, work is a blessing, both for me and the people who my work is affecting. And I need to pay my bills and, you know, be able to be self-sufficient and not rely on other people. And all of us, whether we're married or not, have family responsibilities and home responsibilities. And then I have to think about how I want to serve my church and my community. And then at the very end, I can think, how do I want to plan out recreation that's going to replenish and restore me? And so, it's really important. Like, I'm not saying there's a certain tool you should use, but you should have some sort of a plan for how you're going to spend your time. Because if you don't have a plan, you will spend it and you'll not know what happened to it. So like I use an online calendar that's color coded and I just like, I can see, you know, very easily if I add up the different hours, like I've spent this much time this week doing this. I've honored these responsibilities. So just figure out a system that works for you to keep track of your time because it matters. And then the third thing is I really, really try to avoid sinning because sin always robs us of our time. And so the fewer allowances I can make for sinning, the greater my time effectiveness will be. And then as an older, like a middle-aged person who's lived for 45 years now, a couple of practical things that I've learned mostly from my older Titus two women around me is never touch the same thing twice. So if there's any way that you can just put it away while it's in your hand, then do that. Instead of saying, Oh, I'll put this down and I'll get it later. You spend so much time just picking up stuff that you've already held instead of just putting it away when you had it in your hand. So like for me, when I fold my clothes, 
I fold them and put them right into my dresser. I don't fold them and put them into a basket to later take out of the basket and put it into the dresser. And so I wash my dishes as I'm cooking instead of making a big, huge cooking dish pile that I have to wash later. I learned that from an older lady at our church. It was like, whoa, so practical. I also like to use found moments. Like I always microwave my coffee for two minutes. That's two minutes. I could either stand there staring at the ceiling or I could do something productive. So like I straighten something or like put something away in the morning while coffee is brewing. I usually wash the dishes because by the time the coffee is done, I can get the dishes done or I could have just stood there twiddling my thumb. And so I also, another tip is I also like to like double up activities, especially if the thing that I like the task that I have to do is super boring and I don't really have to think very much about it. Like if I want to listen to a podcast or an audiobook, I do that while I clean or while I garden, which also makes me feel like more excited to clean and garden. And then I and then I also look for time suckers and I try to get rid of them if possible. Like social media can just be addicting. And we, you have to remember like the algorithms were meant to make you addicted. So I just be really careful about that. And I I don't engage in endless debates with people who just like to argue or gossip. And I just try to not doom scroll, like just looking at endless news articles. So if there's something that is sucking a lot of time out of my life and I try to get rid of it. And one of the other like old lady things that I feel qualified to say is just limit your exposure to TV or TikToks or Instagram reels. They, some of them may not be evil but they're not really adding very much godliness to your life. And one of the reasons we do that sometimes is because we're tired and we're like, I want to relax while I sit here. And one of the things that I've learned is if you're tired, just go to bed because what you really need is to sleep. And so go to bed, just don't spend hours getting sucked into Instagram reels and you'll be like, whoa, I can't believe a whole hour has passed. Yes. Yeah. I loved how you touched on how you piggyback activities. And that's actually one of the tricks of the trade for how you develop new habits is you you kind of piggyback them onto something that you already have a habit of doing, like brushing your teeth. Well, if you want to be memorizing scripture, you can make that a time where while I'm brushing my teeth, I'm also looking at a verse on my mirror and I'm memorizing it. And you can just kind of helps put in new habits into your life. But so much of this comes down to organization. And you, we talked about that at the beginning, planning, being organized. And I think we make things harder for ourselves when we're not. You know, We can just feel so chaotic and frazzled because we have no systems in place, no structure for our week. And we're just trying to remember to do everything we need to do. So I highly, highly recommend sitting down taking a half day on like a weekend and organizing your life, putting systems in place of like, okay, this day I'm going to do grocery shopping and this day I'm going to do meal planning and prepping. And um, this day is, you know, specifically deep cleaning my house. And the more that you have a plan for things, the less time you have to put into thinking about it and the less chaotic your life will be. So putting in a little effort at the beginning will have huge results in the end, I think. I agree. We call those rhythms, like what are the rhythms of our week? Like on Mondays, we do this. On Wednesdays, we do this. It's just helpful. Then you just have to remember, like, I said I was going to do this because this is what was probably the best use of my time. And then I just have to do it faithfully, whether I feel like doing it or not. 
Yes. Faithfulness. I just love camping on that thought as well. Like that's what God calls us to is just faithfully walking daily in these um, habits and stewarding. So I, the last question today, and I think we should end on this, it's about how to rest. Because as we've talked about and, and the verses that were shared, how important it is to use our time wisely. But where does rest and relaxation fit into all of this? And how do we rest without feeling guilty like we're not accomplishing something we should be? That's a good question. And it's important to understand that God actually commanded us to rest. When you look at the um, Ten Commandments, which was God's covenant for His people, like how He wanted His people to function, one of the commandments was that they must rest. And that word Sabbath in the Hebrew, this is what it means, cease or stop. So the Israelites were told to labor and do their good work for the Lord six days out of seven, but on the seventh, they were told to stop working. And you can, we can even see in scripture, God himself rested after having created the world. And you can't even make the argument that God was tired. He didn't do anything but speak the world into existence other than molding clay into Adam um, and then doing the rib surgery for Eve. But he mandated rest, even though he was not physically tired. And so you can see all through the scripture, God uses the concept of Sabbathing daily, weekly, yearly, generationally, to teach people to live their life with the rhythm of Sabbathing and resting. So if we're to bear the image of God, rest has to be a part of our existence too. And I think theologically you can make the case that sometimes believers don't rest because they're living like functional atheists, like we believe that we have inadequacies that need to be covered up or hidden. And we're really super aware of our inability to do things perfectly. So instead of just saying, I'm not perfect and I need someone who is perfect, we just say, I'm going to dig a little deeper and try a little harder. And we have this like weird relationship where we try to be super busy to prove that we're worth something or to escape our own guilt. And so one of the reasons that we can think about rest properly is that Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. and our understanding our great need to have our inadequacies covered pushes us into a relationship with God through Jesus, where our sin problem is taken care of by Jesus, not by working harder. And so when we are unified with Christ, we're invited into Christ's rest, and we share with him the substitutionary results of the sacrificial death on the cross. So I can rest because my work is done. And also I can rest as an exercise in faith because you know what? The world is not going to keep spinning on its axis because of me working. It continues to function well because God never stops working. And so I can rest as I exercise my faith that the whole world belongs to God and he's keeping it functioning. And while I rest appropriately, I'm honoring him. So I really believe that rightly applied rest is an act of worship. At some point in the day, I stop working. I honor my finiteness and God's infiniteness. And I trust God to hold all of this together. And I believe he's working to accomplish his kingdom plan, even when I'm not. And then I wake up in the morning and I start fresh. And I have to make sure I'm, I'm again, being biblically balanced because there's this one ditch where I'm like, 
I can't stop working. So much depends on me. Or there's this other ditch where I could be self-centered and believe like Maslow's heart hierarchy of needs. Like I can't take of anyone up, care of anyone else unless I first have been taken care of, which is that's patently unbiblical. But I can say I am resting now as a holy act of worship of this infinite God who has invited me into a relationship with him, made it possible through faith in Jesus Christ. And now I get to use my time on earth in ways that honor him and bless those around me. So even rest is an object of worship when I've done it in a way that honors God's values. What a beautiful note to end on and such a helpful reminder, especially in the busyness of this time of year. So I just, that blessed my heart so much to think of that in that way and just help to reshift my mind and heart to the right motives, the right understanding of our finiteness, God's infiniteness, how he's designed us to live and function and worshiping him as we live according to that plan. Thank you so much, Jocelyn, for taking the time to sit down. You're welcome. And- <laughs> I'm, so, I'm glad to join you guys again. Oh, it was such a blessing. And I'm excited to hear how it influences and affects how people think and use their time. 